Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode 18 of the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, and thanks for listening. During October 2020, we celebrate American Pharmacist Month and National Pharmacy Week, and both highlight the important role pharmacists play as accessible healthcare professionals and medication use experts. And on October 12th, we celebrated the third Women Pharmacist Day when we recognize all women in pharmacy, pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, student pharmacists, and residents who advance pharmacy and improve patient outcomes. Thank you. So now on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Connie Connolly. Connie and I are gonna be discussing many things, including her leadership experiences and passion for community pharmacy. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to Connie and then also let her tell you about herself, her career, and her many varied experiences in life in general. Connie Connolly served as president for the Iowa Pharmacy Association in 2019 to 2020 and currently is chairman of the board. She's a bridge builder, and we'll hear lots more about that, and connector, and as a clinical pharmacist, thrives working with student pharmacists and residents and helping patients at Osterhouse Pharmacy. So Connie, thank you for being here with me today. Before we get into your career experiences, maybe you can talk a little bit about your family, where you grew up, and your University of Iowa experience. Thank you, Melissa. So great to be here today. Yes, I grew up in Macomb, Illinois, which is a small town in West Central Illinois. There's a university there. Other than that, it's just a farm town. I am the oldest of four children, and I think that really shaped me, having to be the one to kind of be in charge when mom and dad were off earning the money so we could live. And then I actually got married as soon as I got out of high school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew it would just be healthcare. And my husband and I moved to Dubuque, Iowa, and I started working for Walgreens as a clerk. And that led me to the possibility of pharmacy, which had never come up before. Frankly, it just lit a fire into me. From then on, I really loved to work with patients and learning about what I could do to help them have better lives. And that led me to going to school at the University of Iowa. And the college experience just really helped me a lot, opened my eyes to possibilities. I am a first-generation college student and went into it completely naive, and also as a uh, commuting married student. So finding my way through that was a little bit difficult, but I think it helped me grow. And I was very pleased to have met lots of people there that have helped me along my journey. Well, Connie, thank you for sharing that. And I think one thing that you reflected on is sometimes you don't know. You know, you mentioned that at first you weren't really sure about what you were going to do, but that experience you had at Walgreens really set the stage. I also appreciate that you shared that you're first generation college student as I am. And I think that's helpful for our listeners to learn that there are people out there that can help provide guidance to you. And even if you don't know people directly in your circle, you soon will meet them and they're you know willing to help you out and be a part of your journey. So that's really cool. I think when we talk about your journey, clearly there have been mentors and other influencers with you on the way. So can you talk a little bit about some of your mentors and influencers, both pre and post pharmacy school? Absolutely. 
I think pre-pharmacy school, I was a member of the Girl Scouts, and my Girl Scout leader was someone who really helped me develop, I think, an appetite to learn and to explore, and that was my way of getting to do things away from the family, so I really hungered for that. And then once I got into pharmacy school, even just classmates, we formed a really good bond. We had a great class, and we enjoy meeting with each other and sharing experiences. One of the biggest turning points for me, I think, in pharmacy school was meeting uh, Mary Teresi Milovitz and getting involved with APHA ASP. That was kind of a foreign concept to me, a professional organization. And she kind of was a little bit of a bug in my shoulder there. It's like, you know, kept tap, tap, tapping because I was married and commuting and working almost full time and some semesters full time to pay for my school. And she kept saying, no, you need to come to these meetings. And I was like, no, I don't have time. I have to go to work. And she finally changed one of the meeting times. So I would go and I was hooked. I mean, I became, ended up becoming vice president and joining a lot of IPA, Iowa Pharmacy Association activities, um, learning about the House of Delegates and the rest is history. As far as my experience with them, you know, I find it very uplifting and I think reaffirming to go to those meetings and interact with people. I should mention that the connection that you and I have, or one of the initial connections, is one of your very close friends from pharmacy school, Susan Winkler, is a close friend of mine that I met in Washington, D.C. She was the executive resident a couple years after me, and then we ended up living together. And I think it was through our Iowa connections, whether it be at APHA meetings that you and I first met, you know, through Susan, but I think the idea of going to meetings and being a part of them and then meeting like in your circle and then the extended circle makes such a difference. And I bet you're so grateful that your mentor persisted and that she didn't take your no as, you know, okay, well then this isn't for Connie. Because I think sometimes before we've tried something or we have life a certain way or we have certain responsibilities, I think that's very important for our students and residents to hear right now that especially during COVID where everything's upside down and you know our schedules are different and so we might think I can't attend that meeting or it's virtual so I don't want to jump on Zoom but there's still value in the connection and the networking and the collaboration so I'm so happy that you shared that because I think it's important to remember that sometimes it's just a little and you know during American Pharmacist Month maybe each of us can think about who should I reach out to and give that nudge and say, hey, come along, you know, come listen to this with me or jump on an IPA happy hour. You're welcome and we want you there. Absolutely. That is the best thing I've found with Iowa Pharmacy Association. They're so welcoming and that really spoke to me, you know, the inclusion factor and bringing people in and just say, hey, just come along and listen and see if it's for you. And you mentioned Susan, obviously she and I are been very close. We met actually pre-pharmacy because neither of us were in the college yet, but we were allowed to join a college class, pharmaceutical orientation, and we kind of realized when everybody else got up, jumped up, and went to the next lab that we were the two sitting there going, okay, our classes are done for a while. So we introduced ourselves to each other, and we really have enjoyed a great friendship since. And as you say, you know, meeting at meetings and catching up with each other and introducing each other to our other contacts, that's just wonderful. Oh, that's so cool. Well, in our intro, I talked about that you've worked for many years at Osterhouse Pharmacy. And Osterhouse Pharmacy is a nationally recognized community pharmacy. It's a, a pharmacy that people from all across the country and really around the world come to visit to check out its patient-centered approach. 
and its emphasis on the pharmacist's role in healthcare and the interdisciplinary role. So, you know, we often hear about Bob Osterhaus, the founder, and his son, Matt Osterhaus, both who have served as APHA presidents, which is significant. But I want to talk a little bit about some other pharmacists and big people that have impacted Osterhaus Pharmacy and Osterhaus and Marilyn Osterhaus. Can you tell me a little bit more about both of them? Oh, yes. Marilyn and Ann are wonderful and truly partners in the business, you know. You think about Anne, she was raising 10 children, but yet she was still helping do the books. And, you know, there are many stories about her calling to make sure that people were paying their bills on time to keep them viable. And Marilyn also, you know, she raised four children and she's also a pharmacist and she worked there at the store and helped develop the care that we provide. And they're both also very active in their communities. Just a great experience was nominating Marilyn for the Bowl of Hygieia and finding out even more about her activities over the years. And, you know, people talk about having it all, our life balance, work-life balance. And, you know, I think they were truly great icons in that, that you really can't have it all, but you find out what is important and you make it happen. It was recognized also for Anne with the Osterhaus Medal. Dean Latender was so wonderful in recognizing that Anne was just as big a part of it as Bob. And the great partnerships that they form to make this successful practice you really just can't do it without them. A couple of years ago, you and I collaborated at the Zeta conference and I had the pleasure of moderating the dual career couples panel. And that was just so fascinating to hear that those couples talk about how they support each other and challenge each other and make sure that they can each reach their goals. And I think that having a partner that fosters what means the most for you is key. And I know that Kate Gaynor always talks about, you know, one of your key decisions in life is your partner, who you're going to walk through life with. And I agree, you know, without Chris, I wouldn't be here today because, like I say, first generation, not knowing what was going on, not knowing what I wanted to do. He helped me clarify that. And he also has helped boost me and to say, well, maybe you should try that, you know, just having someone in your corner. So when you're looking for those type of things, you know, you think about what do I need and really define that as you're choosing a partner. I think that's very helpful. And, you know, Bob and Matt hit it out of the park by choosing the two of them. Yeah. I reflect on when I met Anne, and I think it was early in my career, Anne and Bob, you know, when I was executive resident, because Bob was on the board and I learned about the kids, the 10 kids, and that in itself is an accomplishment. And then you think about that they were involved in politics, you know, in Iowa, and then national leadership, and then running this business, and there's just so many layers. And especially since I've moved back to Iowa, I've gotten to know them better and in a different way and really see the community engagement that they have in keeping Makokota strong, and then keeping pharmacy as an integral part of the healthcare ecosystem, which I think is really important. But also what I noticed is Marilyn and Anne just kind of do it. You know, it's part of like, I was very blessed and fortunate that John and I were included in a dinner at the Osterhaus that Ann and Bob hosted. And I just was in awe of how she put this together and had so many people and what that looked like. But I think your comment about choosing the correct life partner, I mean, you and I have talked about that before, how important Chris is to you and how important John is to me. And I reflected even when you and I were talking recently about the IPA meeting and that because it was virtual, you didn't have that car time with Chris to talk about like what had happened, who you had met. And John and I do that, or even we do walks together and catch up on 
like, oh, this is happening. And sometimes I think, does this, this matter? But he does help me to like think through about what I would do next or what that looks like. So I think the idea of choosing the right partner is really, really important. And you can see how, how much of that makes a difference. You know, I've talked a little bit about Osterhaus Pharmacy, but it's such a place of innovation. And there's so many cool things that have happened there that have come out of there over the years. Tell me a little bit about community pharmacy and why you love it so much. Because I, I believe you're my first practicing community pharmacist on the podcast, which I think is really cool. And I do know that Osterhaus Pharmacy was one of the first sites, inaugural sites for the community pharmacy residency program. So tell us a little bit more about those things. Well, for me, community pharmacy is the patient touch. Pharmacy in general over the years was something you kind of stood behind the counter and you didn't, you know, it was for those of us that were slightly introverted, but I actually feed off that patient connection. And I found that as I went through my training that this was the way I was going to find it. And obviously it's where I started by finding out about pharmacy in the community. So it was where I was most comfortable. It also worked out with the fact that, you know, Chris and I were a little bit of nomads at the time because of his career. So it would give me a place to always be able to practice. And I have to tell you, when I moved to Osterhaus Pharmacy, I was actually living in Mason City and had told my boss that, hey, I'm giving you eight weeks notice because I know I'm a, I was running a pharmacy by my, as a solo practitioner. I said, you'll need some time to find someone. And that was on a Friday night. And on Monday morning, I got a phone call from Matt Osterhaus saying, a little birdie told me that you're moving to my end of the state. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he wanted me to come to work for him. And, I, you know, that was very flattering. It was also, like, scary. It's like, oh, I'm going to go work at Osterhaus Pharmacy. Because you're right. You've heard over the years all the great things they do. But it has been a wonderful step in my career to meet all the people. The community residency, yes, they were the first in the nation. It started out as a co-residency that first year and a great collaboration as we have with the schools of pharmacy. And we have been able to bring in a resident every year and learn from them and they learn from us and it just pushes all of our boundaries. We're also committed to um, rotational students. So there's not a day that goes by hardly that we don't have a learning pharmacy person in that pharmacies to help keep us on our toes and help us learn. And also, you know, just continue to explore different ways of taking care of the patients. Yeah, that is so interesting. And, you know, I reflect with the community pharmacy residency program when I was in DC with APHA, that was an article that I wrote about it was, you know, I think it was within like the first year or so, but I do remember writing about it and in that Osterhaus Pharmacy was one of the first sites and all of that. You know, you talked about access and the interface with the patients, but here in 2020, we're in a really different time right now. So talk to me a little bit about what that's been like with COVID and how Osterhaus Pharmacy has adapted to serve your patients. Because my sense is probably some don't want to come in or they're not sure, you know, like we're getting, we're in flu season right now. So there's just like a lot of things that for sure are different. And as you know, we're in American Pharmacist Month, um, just reflect on what community pharmacy has been like the last several months. Well, I will tell you that when we first were learning about COVID was March, when we were really starting to consider what ramifications might be there, you know, would we go to APHA and those type of things. So we brought the pharmacist together with our current resident, who was Sam Williams, and discussed, like, you know, what's this going to look like? What are we going into? And all of the unknowns were really quite scary at that point because, you know, we didn't know how it was transmitted. We knew we wanted to keep our patients safe. Obviously, we serve a population that's very vulnerable to the COVID, 
because you know, their own immune systems are fighting other things. And we weren't really sure what could cause them to be even more vulnerable or what could protect them. So we huddled up and discussed things a lot. We did close the pharmacy to any patients coming into the pharmacy. And we did that for about six weeks, I would say. And that really required a lot of outside the box thinking. You know, we were used to having those patients in our uh, consultation rooms, talking to them face to face, learning things about their therapy, helping them. And all of a sudden we were talking to them through the glass window of the drive through or going out in the parking lot and talking to them through the car door and trying to make them feel comfortable enough to still share the information we needed to actually help them, but also finding ways to assure that getting, you know, feedback from them that they were understanding what we were trying to tell them. And also, you know, just the fears of everything. And I remember another guest of yours was Kelly Jo Walter was one of our rotational st students at that time. And she really took the bull by the horns and found some educational materials to stuff in all the bags and helping people ask them if they wanted a mask, explaining the importance of them. So, you know, we were just trying to hit on all the cylinders and not really know where we were going. And I think we did a pretty good job of that. And I was reflecting this week, okay, we're six, seven months into this. What has happened to our practice, you know, and we do have still the stop sign up front. So you have to be screened and you have to put on a mask to come in. We have patients that, like you say, are not comfortable coming in yet. So we still go to the curbside where we deliver or mail. We see them at drive through drive through is not ideal for me with my hearing impairment because then people come in with a mask and they're trying to talk to me and I can't read their lips. <laughs> and you've got the microphone that's never ideal to begin with. But it's also made people be a little more empathetic to me, like, oh, my gosh, I can't hear them and I can't understand them. So we're working through that and finding different ways to communicate. And I found when I reflected was I'm kind of seeing what it's like to be other healthcare providers, because, you know, we've always touted that in the community we're high touch. We can pick up on things through maybe even family members that come in. You find out things about the patient you're not necessarily going to find out in an office setting. And we act on that. And we also develop that relationship they are comfortable sharing those things. But it's hard to do when they're behind a mask or behind a plexiglass or, you know, you're just not getting that same interaction. Or maybe they're afraid to even come in at all. And, I, you know, my reflection was, there's a few patients I haven't seen in six months physically that we've been talking to them on the phone or their caregivers or family of them coming in to get things. And that made me a little uneasy because I'm not connecting with them like I normally do. So that was what I came up with this week. So we're working on that also. Yeah, you know, I think you really highlighted how much learning we've had. And if you think about like from this, the time point of in March when, like you said, you know, we were trying to understand what it was and things were being canceled and shut down and stay home times. And I bet Kelly, Joe had a phenomenal learning experience because there was just so much that was new, you know, and, and I think for the pharmacies that were still able to have students and residents part of their process, whatever that looked like. And when I talked to Lisa Gersima, she talked about their residents said, hey, you know, we want to be involved, whatever. The, I mean, they understood that they had to be safe and had to work through the hospital, the health system protocols. But I think similar to what you're describing, and if anything, we've learned we have to adapt and we have to be flexible. We may be physically distant, but how do we still connect? And what does that look like? But you're right of making sure that you're still getting the information that you need that's pertinent in these tough times. And, you know, I think as we navigate this fall, that'll be even more important going through there. 
absolutely. You know, vaccination time has started. We had someone yesterday came into the store, thought they wanted to get their flu vaccine, but then saw how many people were there. And she said, you know, I'm really not comfortable. I'm like, fine, come in tomorrow morning early. You'll be, you know, nearly by yourself coming in. So like you say, the flexibility and, you know, as Bob always says, if it's right for the patient, it's the right thing to do. So, you know, we use that as our guiding credo and we just plunge ahead. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. So, you know, it is American Pharmacist Month and we're talking about leadership and advocacy. And I know as part of your chair leadership, you recently participated in the Iowa Pharmacy Association's annual meeting and that it was virtual. So tell me a little bit about some of the program highlights and how pharmacists address important societal issues that are impacting all of us. Well, we had some phenomenal keynote speakers, which is really great that our staff was really thinking ahead because most of this was planned pre-pandemic for our keynote speakers, but they were very dynamic and obviously we're doing it virtually. And you think about how can you make it engaging? We had Miss America, Camille Schreier, come in and talk about her journey and positive disruption. And she just knocked it out of the park. She took on the thing of why are you doing this? Why would you do a beauty pageant type thing? And, you know, the people that would be the naysayers are taking that path. She said, you know, I'm going to show what it is I can do as a woman and I can show that we can be strong and we can be intellectual and we can push the envelope. And her strength is just really being a role model for young girls, I think. You know, she had got up there on the stage and did that experiment. And it was like, wow, you know, we don't have to get up there and just see how pretty I am. It's more like, no, I can do this and look what I can change in the world. It was really great to hear from her. We also heard from Scott Knorr and from APHA and wow, what a force he is. He's very engaged and he's obviously hit the ground running. And I think it was great for our members to have the interaction with him and be able to have a few questions and dialogue while he was speaking. One of the ones we had for Kino for the uh, residents and then repeated it later in the meeting was Jason Kotecki and his wife. And they talked about fighting adult-itis. And it was just a great presentation, especially in this time when we find ourselves isolated and at home and only interacting virtually, you know, to remember to keep things fun and light. And I just was really pleased with that. Our House of Delegates session went very well. We had, I think, almost 200 people involved great dialogue, passed some great policy, and probably the highlight of my presidential year is that um, I was able to introduce some policy regarding inclusion and acknowledging that we have explicit and implicit biases in our profession, and that that also contributes to healthcare disparities, and we were able to engage on that policy and get it passed, and I was so pleased. That is such a cool overview on so many levels. You know, I love that you had Camille, and I've really been following Miss America, her trajectory too. You know, I have nieces, and when I watched on YouTube Camille's explosion talent, you know, that she did with the beakers, I said to my nieces, we're going to watch it together. And we sat down, and they were so excited because, you know, normally I've tried to buy them the Barbies, you know, that are out there in the world and, you know, to talk about women in science and women in STEM, but to see Camille and the connections that she's making and that she's talking about the opioid crisis. I mean, there's just so much with that, that I think it, you know, is really neat. And I love that IPA, I think is always a leader in bringing in kind of whatever's new and, and different and innovative. So to have Scott early on in his tenure as the new 
APHA CEO makes so much sense. And to have that programming, the connection between the residents and your full annual meeting related to this adultitis. I mean, you know, we're all trying to figure this out. And you and I were smiling that, I mean, I'm recording in my closet right now. You know, it's like the podcast has evolved. I mean, I launched the podcast right as the pandemic, you know, right as it was kind of happening. So I think we have had to learn to be flexible. And, you know, I just want to pause and really say thank you for your leadership and the pride that I have as your friend and your colleague that you were willing to step up and look at the issue of health equity and disparities, A, to talk about it, because if we don't talk about it, we have to put it in the light. And we've talked about that and what that means. And we're clearly seeing that with COVID patients, that there's issues with some health disparities. And then also within our profession. So how can we learn from it and how can we do better? So yeah, that is really a big accomplishment. And, you know, I think navigating a House of Delegates, I've been on a couple board meetings and then I was participated in APHA's House of Delegates virtually. It's different, but we realize you can still make it work. You know, I don't know about you, but I did think you need to have your snacks. You need to, you know, you need to make sure that you do take a bathroom break if, if you know, possible, if you need to. But I'm really happy to hear that. And I hope that you kind of take that in, that that's a big accomplishment and a big milestone. Oh, thank you very much. Like I say, it just really pleased me to be able to find some consensus. And like you say, we're talking about it. So that pleases me. Good, good. Well, you know, on the Melissa RX Scripts podcast, as we draw to a close, one of the things that I ask each of my guests, and it's been very interesting over these last several months, is, is there one prescription or life lesson that you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa RX Scripts? Well, I would say for me, it's always been show up, show up ready to learn, look for what resonates with you and never miss an opportunity to say thank you. I love that. I think especially during American Pharmacist Month, show up, you know, how can we show up? What does that look like? And the whole gratitude, you know, say thank you is just really, really important. Well, I want to say thank you for sharing your insights with me today, Connie. This has been super fun. This is the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast. And so to everyone listening, thank you. And if you could please subscribe to our show and follow me, Melissa Muir Corrigan, on social media. I also want to thank my fabulous producer, Kate Cruz, with Executive Podcast Solution. And thanks so much for listening. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me and happy Pharmacist Month.